Amen. After Daniel received the uh, vision, this is what he wrote. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Father, again, we thank you. Through your spirit, you gave Daniel understanding. We confess today that, as Daniel confessed, that you are the one that changes the times and the seasons. You remove kings and you put in place kings. That the governments of this world are under your control. Father, we thank you that you have also shown us this. That you gave him wisdom. That he wrote it down that we can have wisdom. That you've revealed to us not only what has been, but what is to come. So that we might have faith. So that we might have security. So that we might know for sure that your promises are true. They will be accomplished. Lord, as we look at the image today, give us wisdom. Help us not only to see what happened to Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome, but also what's coming and what we believe is the near future. And again, that our faith and our trust and our hope would be in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, we are continuing our study after a long parenthesis. As you know, we started Daniel back in the summer, I guess it was. My last message, I think, was uh, September 9th. (laughs) And then from there, I went on vacation, and we had a couple special speakers, and I came home, and we did something special. And then we had Missions Month for four weeks, and then last week was Communion, and and here we are again. So again, you want to be in Daniel chapter 2. You really also want to, if you have your outline, a bulletin, the, in the outline, in the back side, you'll see, uh, I think it was Swindoll, yeah, I took something out of Swindoll's study guide as far as the image, uh, just for your reference purposes. I think, again, for today, we should uh, do a little bit of review, because, again, it's been two months since I was here last. So let's just do a little bit of review. This is primarily in... Uh, Concerning Daniel's life, uh, three main points. Actually, I've cut it down. I see I had four before. But first one is this. Daniel's life and ministry bridges the entire 70-year Babylonian captivity. That's important to understand. Um, God said, if you, do not be- if you do not obey me, you will be removed from the land. That's what happened. It's called the 70-year captivity. What I find interesting is he sent a prophet along with them. And, and again, the 70-year captivity has to do with Nebuchadnezzar. He came in, he destroyed uh, Jerusalem. The first time he came in and he just captured it. It took three different invasions because 
he, he basically left the king there, and then they would rebel, and they came back, and the third time he destroyed it completely. But the first, first round, as it were, you can find in verse 1 of chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And that's the start of the 70-year captivity. What's interesting is Daniel is there, is at that moment taken away, and he is in Babylon for the entire 70 years until the people start, the Jews start coming back to the land. He is therefore in Babylon, Daniel is, and he sees and actually serves at least three, possibly four, uh, major uh, dictators, world leaders. Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, Darius, and if you think Darius is Cyrus or Darius and Cyrus, depending on how you split that. So in other words, he was involved in world uh, issues for 70 years. Not only that, but two different empires. When he, when he uh, went into captivity, Babylon was in control. By the time he died, Medo-Persia was in control. So two world powers. So again, that's kind of like the summary of Daniel's life. And it, uh, it uh, spans the whole 70 years. Number two, Daniel's life was characterized by, outsta- uh, he was characterized by outstanding character. Now, now think about this. If, do I have, can I, do I have the power? <laughs> oh, there it is. I just got this, so I haven't been using it, playing around with it. I mean, we've had it around, but I haven't. But anyways, I just wanted to show you. Now think about it. Ooh, I love the little red, too. I love all these. Uh, Anyways, Jerusalem, all right, where Daniel was. Nebuchadnezzar over here in Babylon comes in and uh, besieges it, chapter 1, verse 1, and then brings the captives all the way back to Babylon. This way, not this way. This was the route. So again, about six, 700 miles away. And then, uh, and then this from here to here is what, uh, three, four hundred miles. But the point is, is this. Daniel, being only about 14, 15, 16 years old, is taken away from his family, from the land, from everything he knows, and is transported back to Babylon, which we know as Iraq. And in, our, in there he is put in, i.e., the Babylonian University for three years teaching. So they taught him all the pagan stuff. And yet, Daniel remains... Now, this is what's important to know. Daniel remains faithful. Now, think about that. Take a 15-year-old, put him in Iran, and see if he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He's a man of prayer. We just saw that. What I read was literally his praises after his prayer request was answered. We'll see that in a moment. He was a man of courage. He was a man of composure, even in the face of danger. He was a man of consistency, uncompromising consistency. Though he is separated as a prisoner, though he is forced to learn the Babylonian ways, he stays faithful to God. He's he's one of the best examples of a true uh, believer in God. So again, that's the man who's writing the book. Uh, Daniel, he goes from uh, age uh, 14, 15. By the time he ends up in the, in the lion's den, he's in his 80s. Okay? Sometimes we have pictures of him as a young man in the lion's den. He's, no, no, this is at the end of his, his life. It's, it's actually when uh, there's a whole different um, uh, ruler in place at the, by that point. But again, he's faithful to Jehovah, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And number three... God gave Daniel three friends 
uh, Haniah, Mishael, Azariah, they had knowledge and wisdom, but for Daniel it says this in verse uh, 17 of chapter 1, but to Daniel was given understanding in all visions and dreams. Now why, you say, why do I say that? Uh, even Jesus himself called da- uh, Daniel the prophet. Daniel the prophet. As these images are interpreted, it's Daniel doing it. Now, again, he calls for the three friends to pray, but it's Daniel who gets the vision. So Daniel is God's messenger with God's message for the day. In fact, it's not only for a message for a, an ungodly king named Nebuchadnezzar uh, 2,000 plus years ago, but I believe that Daniel has the message for us today. If you want to understand what's really going on in the world, if you really want to understand what's going on in the Middle East, if you really want to know what's going on with Israel, if you really want to know what's going on with Jerusalem, listen to Daniel. See, that's what I'm trying to say. He is, he is, is uh, uh, legitimate and contemporary today as he was to 2,600 uh, years ago. Listen to Daniel, because what he's telling us through the book of Daniel not only tells us the what, but the why. Why is this happening? Why are the Jews in the position they are? Why is Israel where they are? Why can't the world get along? Why is the world crumbling? All those are answered by the book of Daniel. Why do we even have the elections of last week and the way they turned out? Actually, they're addressed by Daniel. Well, let's look at the receiving of the dream. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is the receiving. Now, if you have an outline, you want, may, might want to fill that in. I only have three, three uh, fill-ins today. First of all, you have the predicament of the wise men. <laughs> the predicament. Look at verse 1. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Second year. Okay, this is just, I believe, by the way, this is at the very end of Daniel's training. Uh, you see an overlap, and we went through it before, but the point is, is he has just graduated. That's the point. But anyways, in, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Notice, plural, dream, S. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Look at verse 3. It says, I have had a dream. The idea is this, he had been having dreams of the same dream. It just kept coming back, which you're going to see of the image. He apparently had had it month, or day after day, night after night, he kept having this dream, plural, dreams, but it was all the same dream. Look at verse 5, he calls for the wise men, the Chaldeans, all his, anybody that knew anything, and said to the Chaldeans specifically, they were like the higher rank, if you do not make known the dream to me, singular, and its interpretation. So, by the way, I'm not sure if he really knew the dream. I, there's some question whether or not he knew there was a dream, but not, he didn't know even the particulars of the dream, let alone the interpretation. But he tells the Chaldeans, which also would include all the others, you've got to tell me the dream and its, and its interpretation. You show, or, <laughs> and if you can't do it, you shall be cut in pieces. Your house shall be made an ash heap. I mean, look at verse 10, how they respond. I mean, how would you respond? Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the, the king's matter, uh, tell the king's matter, 
Therefore, no king, lord, ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Look at verse 11. It is a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. Yeah, you better believe it. No one can tell it to the king except the gods. Do you see what's, what's happening here? God is putting those guys and Daniel and into an impossible situation that if, if, the, if the dream is, answer, is interpreted, told and interpreted, it's because someone other than human flesh uh, knew the answer. Verse 12, For this reason the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. He's irrational. I mean, he's just, <laughs> anger does that to you, doesn't it? I mean, like, like he's shooting himself in the foot. I mean, you know, like, okay, you're going to kill everybody that's wise in this kingdom because he can't answer, you know, an impossible dream. Well, that's what anger does. And he gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So again, everybody was going to be killed. Look at what uh, Daniel does. The uh, prayer of Daniel's in verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, notice counsel and wisdom, because that's what God had granted to Daniel, he answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men. Now notice what he asked them. Verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. If you look back in the, the, the first part of chapter 2, that was exactly the same thing the Chaldeans had asked, and, and, and the king had refused them, but he granted it to Daniel. He knew something was different about Daniel, that he might tell the king the interpretation. So, verse 17, he told his three friends, pray. Verse 18, it says, seek mercies from the God of heaven. In other words, I can't answer this. We've got to pray. Notice this. Chapter 1, it says that he was given uh, the ability to uh, understanding of all visions and dreams. Verse 17, he was given the gift of being able to understand visions and dreams. And yet when, when, when he had to actually use the gift, he asked the three men to pray. Now, why do I say that? Because he, God has given each one of us, I don't believe, by the way, visions and dreams, but he has given us a spiritual gift, and how often do we use it in the power of the Holy Spirit? In other words, we have a gift, but how often do we ask God to use us in that gift? Sometimes we just, you know, wander through life, and, and, we, and we're called upon to serve. Oh, you want me to teach a class? Yeah, I'll teach the class, because I have the gift of teaching. I've taught it enough times, so I know I have the gift of teaching, and we just go and teach a class. No, no, we should, Lord, this is your gift. I am your servant. If I'm going to do it effectively, you need to empower me. Well, for this one, it was critical that they beseech mercies from the God of heaven, and God answered, and that was really what I read to you earlier, verse, verses uh, 19 to 23. It says, The secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven in, in what I had read before. What's the first thing we do when we get into problems many times? What's the first thing we don't do? <laughs> Pray. And what do we do many times after, we've, after it's been answered? We don't give thanks. I, uh, I work through an acrostic in my mind many times before I preach. And uh, it starts out with, it's aptat. Uh, you acknowledge, A, A-P-T-A-T. A, you acknowledge your need. Uh, P, grab a hold of a promise. Uh, T, uh, then trust in that promise. A, 
act on the fact that you have trusted in that promise. And then the last T is this. Thank God. Now, why do I say that? Because the first four come before I preach. I have to acknowledge, without you I can do nothing. I hold on to a promise. Let's say uh, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit of God. Act on the promise. If I believe I've been filled, then do it. And then, um, excuse me, trust in it and then act on it. Okay, that's getting me to the fact of, of actually doing the message. The last one, and this is the, the one that's so hard for me sometimes, is to walk off the pulpit and thank the Lord for it. We forget to thank God. And I just find it so interesting with, with, uh, with Daniel. I mean, the first thing that comes out of his mouth after he received the vision, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you're the one who changes. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that you're a revealer. Thank you that you revealed it to me. And so again, he's a thankful man. He's, there's no uh, selfish pride. There's, there's no even false humility. It's a true humility in his because he continually runs back to God. And then look at this. The purpose of the dream in verses 24 to 29. This is actually starting new material as it were. We got our way up to 23, and again, I wanted to take 15 minutes and cover it because it's been so long. So again, we have the predicament, and and then we have the prayer, we have the praise. Now we have the purpose of the dream. Verse 24, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, Now notice what he says. By the way, that's verse 27. The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. (laughs) There's a God who knows. And all the false gods have no idea because they're not even real. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Now, you may want to underline that a little bit. What will be in the latter days? Look at verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. What do you mean after this? After his kingdom was gone. See, that was what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He had this great kingdom, but what was going to happen after him? And he who reveals secrets has made known to you Again, notice the thing. What will be? See, the purpose of the dream, the dream singular, was to let Nebuchadnezzar, to let Daniel, to let the Jewish people, and to let all people who would desire to read the word of God, what will be? What's what's coming? You know, the downfall of world governments is very predictable. I I was reading a commentary, and, and the guy made a, a comment back in 1984. So 84 was what? About 30 years ago. Is that correct? 20, 20. No. 30 years ago, right? Is that how? 20, yeah, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Now, this is what the guy said 30 years ago. Now, this was pertaining to America, okay? Not world governments, but America is one of world governments. And, and let me just sideline. You know, I am a patriot, I love this country. I love the people of this country. I love the uh, standards that we've had for many, many years in this country. It breaks my heart to see how the standards are being thrown off of our founding fathers. So I, I read this in, in light of that, but a couple things. But he, he said this. We who know Christ, 
we who know Christ are all watching rather sadly at the slow and continual downfall of the United States of America. Though it is sad, it shouldn't shock us because the nations of the world and the kingdoms of men have always gone the way of the flesh and ultimately ended in collapse and ruin. Anything that has been built on, quote, the might and the wisdom of man, end quote, will suffer the same kind of duration that man himself has suffered since the fall. Dissipation, indulgence, and excess in man's history, it is a devolution process, not an evolutionary process. In other words, man is not ascending, man is descending. What does the historical record show? It reveals the successions of defeats when an empire when empire after empire begins and then it reaches a peak, it fades, and then it dies as another is built on its ashes. I believe that America has reached its apex in the past, is now on the downside of defeat. Now this was written again more than almost 30 years ago. We see the deterioration at every turn, morally, financially, spiritually, relationally, and in the family. We, like every other nation, have the same basic problem. And again, you'll see this in the, uh, in the image, the feet of clay, like the image of Daniel 2, where the clay represents the seed of man. Wherever anything is built on humanity, it is only a matter of time before its dissolution and ending. The point is this, and this is my own addendum, it is impossible long-term for man to rule man. That's the whole point. It is impossible for the long term for man to rule man. Before long, there will be ungodliness and wickedness and deceit and lying and power plays, and that's why uh, institutions called governments are destroyed. I also came across this other quote, again, more specific to democracies. It's a famous quote. In fact, you probably have heard it on radio periodically. But it's put out by, it was uh, written by Professor Alexander Tyler, who wrote this 200 plus years ago. This was, actually, he wrote it during the time that the 13 colonies, before they even separated from Great Britain, okay, before they separated from England, this was written. And he said this, and he wasn't writing about America, he was actually writing about the Athenian Republic, which had, uh, which had uh, lasted, which was in existence 2,000 years earlier. Quote, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves money from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most money from the public treasury, with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy followed by a dictatorship. The average age of the world's great civilizations has been around 200 years. These nations have progressed through the following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from great courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, and from apathy, I find this interesting, to dependency. And then from dependency, back into bondage. I think they say there's been 21, worlds, 21 world civilizations throughout humanity. 
By the way, I know there was a hubbub. I, I happened to catch it, and I didn't really listen to much of what Rush Limbaugh said this last week. I was, to be honest with you, I was frustrated, so I didn't listen to anybody, but I happened to catch one little thing. <laughs> but the point was this. He said this. It is impossible to vote against Santa Claus. I don't know if you heard it. That is exactly what that Professor Tyler was talking about. The reason a democracy cannot survive is because when people know they can vote themselves a raise, you, well, then they become the majority. This cycle is followed by every nation, and a democracy also often follows it faster. Now, sometimes you can rescue yourself from that. It's called crises. I think World War II was an example. We were in a crisis, and we actually got back on track for a while because World War II got us back on track. See, when you're threatened with your life, you start getting back to the basics. Again, it might surprise you to know that God's form of government is not democracy. It's actually theocracy, where one person rules, and that is the millennial kingdom. That's where Christ is going to rule. That's his, that's his form of government. I'm not saying that democracy is bad. All I'm saying is man cannot rule man <laughs> because you've got sinful people. Sinful, selfish people. So we come to Daniel, we come to this image, and we only have about 25 minutes left or 20-some minutes. What he's doing, what God is doing, what Daniel has been allowed to do through, through God's revelation is to almost to see the last act of human history, okay? Like the curtain is closed, but it's ready to be opened. And we're going to see the last major uh, players on the drama of human history. Or as one man said, the last act of the stage of human history. Now, there's a very, very important point, or a, a phrase that you, gotta, you have to know, and it's found in Luke 21, 24. If you want to turn there, Luke 21, 24, and this is Jesus speaking. And you might want to underline this. Now keep your hand in Daniel. We're going to be right back. But what this whole time frame is referring to is called the times of the Gentiles. Luke 21, 24, and Jesus, and, excuse me, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And you say, what are the times of the Gentiles? The times of the Gentiles are from the time that Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and sacked it, besieged it. All the way through history, past the cross, into the church age, all the way through the, the tribulation period until Jesus comes back and steps on the mountain Olives. When he comes back as the reigning king, by the way, he is the king of kings. You keep, I keep, you know... No, he's not the king of kings. No, he's the reigning king who doesn't yet, is not yet on his throne. That's the way to say it. He is the reigning king, and he's coming back to take back the earth, okay, from the ungodliness of, of wicked humanity. That's what the tribulation is all about. So again, the times of the Gentiles goes from literally Daniel 1 verse 1 when Jerusalem is besieged by a Gentile king called Nebuchadnezzar. And the temple is, well, the temple at that point is not completely destroyed. But all the artifacts, the gold is taken. Jerusalem itself is under the, uh, Jeru, uh, the uh, a pagan king. The, 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 uh, the Jewish king that's left is just a puppet to Nebuchadnezzar. 
And it goes all the way through our age. So we're in the times of the Gentiles, and we go all the way up to the time that Jesus comes back to this earth. Actually, with us, we who are saved. And through that whole time, Jerusalem is never, Israel and Jerusalem are never sovereign. They're always under the thumb of another country. And if you look at even today, Israel is not sovereign in itself. They've got all these other, you know, all the, the, uh, the, um, the other governments around them trying to destroy them. So that's the times of the Gentiles. And you say, well, why, why is that important to know? And why does Daniel get this vision? And why does God want his people to know this vision? Because as the Israelites are taken away from Jerusalem and their promised land, you know what would have to be going through their mind? Lord, you promised this to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You promised that we would be in the land and we were in the land, but now we're being taken out of the land. And we know that it was our disobedience that got us out of the land. But the question is, is there any, other, is there any more place? Is there a place uh, in the future for Israel? Are you going to hold to your promises that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And the answer is yes. And the vision says that. In other words, the vision says this. There's going to be nation after nation after nation that's going to be, uh, uh, is not going to let Israel and the Jews be sovereign. And Israel is going to be dispersed. But they're going to be brought back into the land. And in the final, very end, after the tribulations, I'm coming back. And then Israel will be, uh, will be restored to her land. And the promises of Israel will be restored by Christ himself. So again, the times of the Gentiles, and that's why this prophecy is even given. And this prophecy is literally, I mean, it doesn't say times of the Gentiles in Daniel, but that's what it is. This is the times of the Gentiles. Well, let's go to the third point. The revealing of the dream. The revealing. Now, this is where it gets quite interesting. It's the general appearance. Verse 31, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. And then he repeats, this great image, great being massive, this massive image, whose splendor was excellent. Excellent means uh, just brightly shining. It was like blinding light. Stood before you, and its form was awesome. Not only awesome as far as inspiring, but terrorizing. I mean, we think of this image like this, and I'm going to show you one in the back, you know, but I think the image itself was terrorizing to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the specifics. This image, the head of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its, its legs um, of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Can I get that? Is that... Do I have... Oh, thank you. But again, notice it's head, uh, breast, and arms. That's important. It's not just the body part. It's the arms. And then down here in the legs, the first part of the legs, and then the end of the legs are iron. And at the very end, you're going to see iron. The feet and the toes are iron mixed with clay. That's, actually, that's the stage we're in right here. We're coming to it at least. So again, he gives them a, an outline of the prophetic just through an image. Now, I want you to notice something. There's a deterioration... Oh, oh! I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> Help me, Brooke. <laughs> the image had different elements. Again, starting with gold at the top and deteriorating in value. Less valuable until you reach iron and clay at the bottom. 
This particular dream pictures the successions of the kingdoms, beginning with the gold, and then decreasing in value, all the way till you get to the very bottom where it talks about clay. That's, and if you think about it, this is very pliable. And then you get down, especially to the iron, it's just brute strength. But then clay, um, so it, it really, actually, I think that is picturing the, the Ten Nation Federation, the, the um, and I don't think it's ten nations necessarily. Probably what will happen in the end will be there will be ten land masses that represent the world power. And that's where you get the ten the ten toes. But again, mixed with clay. Clay, and by the way, this is not muddy clay. This is like brittle. You know, when you think of a pot, I don't know, how many of you like ceramic? We love ceramic. We always go into yard sales trying to find ceramic, you know, because the kids are always, the kids at the university are always making the, you know, the pots and the, and the cups and stuff, and we always get it for little of nothing because they, you know, especially, no, I won't tell you, but I, we always go in the, uh, we always go um, yard sale shopping, uh, yard sailing around uh, May because the kids are leaving and they don't want anything to do with the pottery they just made and they just get rid of it and it ends up on our shelf. But anyways, if you ever, why do I tell you all that? Because if you ever dropped a piece of clay that's been fired, you know, a pottery piece, it would just smash. It's brittle. It's not like gold. I can drop my wedding ring, nothing, wedding ring, nothing would happen. But again, the, the final kingdoms are going to be less in value all the way down to here where it's very brittle. Uh, in other words, it's going to smash very easily. Not only does there a, is there a deterioration value, but it's also unstable. The structure is entirely unstable and destined for a fall. The specific gravity goes from gold, which is 19 plus, I believe it is, and then it goes to silver, uh, which is 11, and then brass is 8.5. It's it's, it's less dense. Therefore, the top is actually heavier than the bottom. It's top heavy. And again, it's, just, it's reminiscent of the fact that uh, it's less pliable down here than it is up here, and it's top heavy, and therefore it's unstable. And what, what God is saying through Daniel is, as, the, as these governments, as these world governments continue to develop, and again, just to get you the you know, this is Babylon, and then this is Medo-Persia, and this is Greece, and this is, is uh, Rome. And as they develop, there's going to be an, an unstableness to it. it. It was very stable with Nebuchadnezzar. He was a monarch. His word was law. If he wanted to destroy every wise man in the whole country, he could do that. But as you go down, Oglarchy, which is... Uh, just a small group, and then this, uh, these guys, uh, Greece was made up, their ruling uh, class was a nobility, and then here you have a senate, you know, the Rome. Now, they had an emperor, but still, their, their laws and everything, and it was less stable than up here. Down here was a lot less stable. And then what you see with the, the feet of clay and iron and the toes and the ten-nation federation or the ten regions, they become very unstable. They can't even agree on anything. Not like these guys up here. All you had to do was ask Nebuchadnezzar. That, that was what the law was. Okay, so it's unstable. And they're decreasing in quality and a decreasing in value. But, I want you to catch this, but there is an increase in strength. What's, more, what's stronger, gold or iron? Right? So iron, even though there's a decrease, even though it's top-heavy, even though, even though the world governments, you know, they're uh, fragile and brittle, there's a strength there, especially when it came to Rome. 
And again, you'll see some of this as we study in the next few weeks. Um, but look at verse 34. You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, by the way, that's Jesus Christ, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. It doesn't just destroy the feet. It literally then takes the entire image and destroys it from the feet down, uh, feet up. And crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And if you just go to verse 44, and it says, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. What he's saying is this, a stone, we've got to represent it right here, a stone comes and smashes the feet. By the way, it doesn't smash the image. Why? Because these guys have already come and gone. These guys have come and gone. But, they, but these kingdoms built the final, which we call the revived Roman Empire. And now the, the, the rock comes, which is Christ, that's the second coming, smashes the feet. But in doing that, smashes every world government that is in existence, which is that is the world government. But the idea is this. When Jesus comes, everything is destroyed as far as human rule. Why? Because he's the sovereign king. He's coming back to rule the earth with a rod of iron, and he's going to smash every person that stands in his way. <laughs> Everything is destroyed. But it's interesting, from the feet up, not from the head down. So that's the, uh, and that ends right there, the times of the Gentiles. When he comes back, the times of the Gentiles, and he will be reigning and ruling on this earth I believe very, very, very strongly. Can I say that any stronger? Very, very, very strongly, according to uh, Revelation 20, for a thousand years. Now, let me just give you a little addendum to that. After a thousand years of the perfect king of kings, who is sovereign ruler of this universe, gets done ruling, after a thousand years, Satan is released, and we find that there's a rebellion by humanity against the king of kings. Now, think about that. Sol and I were talking about this earlier this week. The perfect ruler is ruling, and there's a rebellion on this earth. It's no wonder we can't get along with imperfect rulers. The perfect one is here, and there's still a rebellion. Okay? It just shows the heart of man. Well, let's start breaking this down. Verse 36, and this is our last point. Let's say the interpretation. Verse 36, this is the dream. See, he just gave it to you, but now he's going to interpret it. And I've been interpreting it for you, but... But now we will tell the interpretation of it to the king. Aren't you glad that he didn't just give us the dream? <laughs> he gave us the interpretation as well. Otherwise, we could go all over wherever. You know, this is what I think the dream means. Ed, what do you think the dream means? Well, he's going to actually tell us. By the way, he doesn't get real specific here. He does in chapter 7. You'll see this. In other words, you start putting all the pieces together and you can easily say, okay, this is the dream. But he doesn't give all the pieces to Nebuchadnezzar yet. He doesn't, actually. Now, and you ask why. Well, what if Daniel said, okay, this is you, Nebuchadnezzar, and this is the kings of Medo-Persian, which are right around you. What's the first thing Nebuchadnezzar is going to do? Go after them. So he just says this... 
He's just given him uh, the peace that he needs to know. Actually, years later, he's going to give more pieces to another king. This is a dream. This is the interpretation. First of all, you have the head of gold, which is the Babylon uh, kingdom. This existed between 605 and 539 B.C., thereabouts. By the way, a couple of these uh, uh, time frames are a li- it could be questionable. You o, king, you, o king of kings, you, O king, are the king of kings. And you say, well, that's odd. I thought Jesus was the king of kings. Well, he's talking about him on this earth. There are people walking around that think they're the king of kings of this earth. But let's read further. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And any time he wants, he can smash you. <laughs> no, I just added that. Um, and wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the field are... Um, uh, excuse me, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven. He has given them into your hand and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. I mean, isn't Daniel so specific? Listen, you got power, but it's been given by God. Now, th- he is talking about a monarch. Okay? I mean, he is talking about one who has absolute rule and he really thought he was God. And yet Daniel enlightens him. By the way, everything that is happening in the world and in America is under God's sovereign control. Do you believe that? Now again, it's interesting he uses the word gold. Babylon was known as the golden city. Why? Well, first of all, because Marduk, Marduk actually, M-A-R-D-U-K, was the chief god of Babylon and was called the God of gold. Another uh, author said this, Second, Babylon used gold extensively in its buildings, images, and shrines. Herodias, who visited Babylon 90 years after the era of Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished at the amount of gold that was there. Even walls and buildings were overlaid with gold. In fact, in the one area they, they estimated I think it was in their temple, 22 tons of gold. It was literally called the golden city. And therefore, God gave, an, uh, God gave the, uh, the understanding, that's you're the head of gold. Very valuable, very pricey, but, um, but again, going to fall because it's in the hands, uh, ruling and power and strength and glory are in the hands of God to give to whomever he wills. Let me say one other thing, just as an addendum. The, the Jews are taken away for 70 years. If you go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, not right now, verse 20, you might want to re- write that down. In 2 Chronicles 36, 20, he actually uh, tells us why they went for 70 years, and this is the reason. Because when they, came out of the land, uh, when they came out of Egypt, they were told, every seventh year, you let the land rest. And apparently they disregarded that. 490 years later, 490 years worth, they did not do that as they were supposed to do. Well, you take 490 divided by 7, that's 70. When the Jews were gone for 70 years, the land rested. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Because it took many, many years for God to judge a people. In fact, there actually was there 
um, their future children because of something they had disobeyed. In other words, they didn't listen to God. They didn't let the land rest. Okay, well, I'm going to remove you right from the land. (laughs) And it will rest for 70 years. By the way, and then a new king, not Nebuchadnezzar, one of the Medo-Persian kings, Cyrus, and then makes an edict, and they go back. So, after 70 years. So that's the head of gold, Babylon. Then we come to the chest and the arms of silver. Verse 39, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. So again, doesn't tell us, just, just uh, it's going to be inferior. It must have been difficult for Nebuchadnezzar to believe an inferior, or actually the word could be translated lower. Literally all he may be saying is it's below you. A lower kingdom could overthrow mighty Babylon. I think Nebuchadnezzar was like astounded. What are you talking about? Now you say, why do I say that? Because this is what uh, Babylon was made of. The first line of defense for the metropolis was a huge moat that tied into the Euphrates River. The main water source that ran through the center of the city. Also protecting Babylon were double walls that rose like stone cliffs into the sky. The ancient historian, again Herodias, Measure them. Now, this is, how, this is how tall these walls were. And this is by uh, accurate account. 300 feet high, 87 feet thick around the entire city. They would say, he would say, well, this is the best in the world. How could, anything, how could anything destroy us? In 539 BC, however, the unthinkable happened. According to Herodotus, The combined forces of the Medes and Persians, catch this, diverted the Euphrates, caused the water level to drop and enabling them to to enter at night through the unguarded sluice gates because the the river ran right through the city. I mean, it was a source of, of water. Great Babylon fell without a fight or harm to the city and in its place rose Medo Persia Empire. So, all happened. These guys beat these guys all in one night. Without even firing a shot, as it were. Now again, it was silver. Silver is interesting. Why do you use that? Because that's what the Medo-Persians used for the exchange as far as the tribute, the taxes. It was required in silver. For quickness, we'll just have to close out here. Again, the belly and the thighs were of bronze. That's Greece. Then another and a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Bronze. And actually, we'll end right here. Other than a couple applications. The bronze. Daniel next tells Nebuchadnezzar that the bronze belly and thighs represent a government which will, quote, rule over all the earth. And in in, in in 331 BC, a young Greek named Alexander the Great had extended his rule as far as India, vanquishing the Persian Empire. So Alexander the Great comes in. And what we find, he dies, by the way, at a very young age. In fact, it says he weeped because he literally conquered the known world. He had nowhere else to conquer. He went all the way past Persia, all the way into India. And yet after he died, his, his kingdom was divided into four sections, but the sections that had to deal with the, uh, the Jews was two. And I think that's what it's represented by not, not only here, but the, the beginnings of the legs. The Palestine was the, the north part was uh, to one of the kingdoms and the south was the other. 
In fact, Herod the Great came from one of the two. We'll get into that later. But bronze, why bronze? Because it was the Greeks that, that went... See, these guys, when they went to battle, they just went with swords and you know, you know, spears. And these guys, you know, they even wore turbans. But now these guys, they became more lethal. And bronze became their, uh, the, the, the material of choice. And they started making their shields and some of their war implements out of bronze. By the way, by the time you get down to Rome, it wasn't bronze, it was iron. It was, uh, you know, just brute strength, and they would literally run over the land like a tank. But again, that's, that's God seeing in the future, well, God even arranging the future, and that's, and that's the, the belly and the thighs of bronze was Greece, and then finally legs and iron and feet of iron were, and of clay was Rome. And what we find is that we actually come right out of the uh, Roman Empire. If you start thinking, I'll give you one tidbit. If you think about it, think about how our government, our government, even the, the word Senate, actually has so many kickbacks in the Republic, so many kickbacks to the Roman Empire. I would say this, every major European uh, government of today, you can see um, how it was residual from the Romans. We look a lot like Romans, even the way we do democracy. Very amazing stuff. Let me give you a few applications. Number one, whoever is ruling at this present time has been allowed and placed there by God. Do you believe it again? It's by God. I mean, that's what you see here. Nebuchadnezzar, you think you are king of kings. It's only because God, who is the real king, has given it to you. Verse chapter 2, verse 21. He changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. Number two, we are rapidly approaching the end of the time. Not just of time, I mean, not time in general, but of our time. Governments of the world have been, been given opportunity, used their, as it were, their iron of authority for good. But what do you see? Consistently, Deceit, lying, selfishness, pride, and they're unfaithful to, to the power that God has given. That's why it draws the, the earth draws to a conclusion when the, the true righteous one, Jesus Christ, comes and rules. We are rapidly approaching the end of the time. And if those two things are true, God is the one that gives the authority. God is the one that's going to close this out, and we're close to it. All investments in earthly kingdoms are temporary at best. It's temporary because human governments are deteriorating. So even our best intentions of ruling ourselves ultimately come crashing down. I would say this way. Invest your life in what will last, right? Invest your life in what will last. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, don't worry, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you say, well, what are you talking about, politically? I'm saying whatever that kingdom is in your life. Some of us put a lot of time and energy in the political. But I'm talking about the financial. Our, whatever is this, whatever your little kingdom on this world is, whatever, it's, whatever keeps you secure, just realize that it's, it's on feet of clay. We've got to have our hope in Jesus Christ. We've got to have our hope in what he's going to give us. And so we live our life seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. I think that's what, I think that's what Daniel, that's the thing that Daniel speaks to us. Listen, don't get your hope on this earth. Don't get your hope in the government. It's all passing. 
It's all passing. And we can say, no! And we try to, and God just says, look at um, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then next week you'll see, Rome disintegrates after about 500 A.D., and then there'll be another one, but every time it disintegrates. Don't put your hope in human government and human people even. Put your hope in God. Amen? Let's stay. Again, I want to remind you, uh, if you would like to stay, we have plenty of food down there. Uh, we even have uh, uh, sweet potatoes that were frozen from our last meal, which I love read. Baked, <laughs> whatever you call it. So well, I'm really meaning that. I know you might say, oh, if I didn't bring anything, I won't stay. No, we have all kinds of food down there. So if you forgot, you didn't bring anything, please stay. We'd love to have you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, again, we thank you that uh, even today we remember our veterans. Thank you for those who have sought to protect our country over these many years. Lord, thank you again for the country that we live in. Lord, we're told in Scripture to pray for all men, make intercession for all men, especially those in authority over us. And so, Lord, we pray for Barack Obama today. We pray for Michelle, Joe Biden, for those who are elected. We pray a blessing on their life. We pray that they might understand truth. We know that in Psalms you tell us that you hate all the workers of iniquity. And we ask that they would not go down the path of the wrong path, the evil path, that they might go down the right path, that they might rule well, so they might be rewarded. Lord, if they don't know you, so many of them do not, that they would come to an understanding of the true King of Kings. Lord, again, we thank you that this vision, this image, tells us what's coming about. Thank you that, that there's no election, there's no politician that can take away anything from your kingdom <laughs> and Lord and they can't take anything away from our reward that we will receive before you unless we get our eyes on them and not you and so Lord help us to keep our faith keep our faith strong Lord that no matter what happens in this country that our hope and that our security would be in you you're our savior you're our anchor and again, we just thank you for these truths. We thank you that you have revealed them to Daniel and you have revealed them to us. So again, that we might have true security in you. In Jesus' name, amen.